Hello everyone, I am Marcibel and this is the Marcibel Podcast. Everyone, this is the Mora Civil Podcast. I have a guest here with me today, and I invited him on this podcast so he could share his story. So I met him a long time ago. Um, he moved, well, I wouldn't say moved, because he's been shuttling between Nigeria and US. And when I think about people that are really strong advocates of Nigeria, he's, I mean, he comes to mind. He decided to move back a while ago, and not only has he started his family in Nigeria, he also has his business. So um, join me in welcoming Mr. Falabi Okubanjo to this podcast session. Hi, Falabi. Hi. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, so I just wanted to get started by just asking you, so who is Afalabi? How how else could you introduce yourself? Well, I am Afalabi Okubanjo, 35 years old, married for six years. I I currently I currently run a, a, a paper business. Paper products, printing, producing, and all kinds of other things that are there. But I do some other stuff as well. I don't really see myself as the kind of person who can actually give a summary of who I am, mainly because I don't consider myself to have completed telling my story. I am not one of the Forbes 500 richest Africans. Working my way up there, though. <laughs> but um, I would say that I'm somebody who I love my country. I love the U.S., I love Nigeria, not in, not necessarily in that order, but I'm somebody who I travel, I spend all the time traveling back and, back and forth, and if you were to ask me to choose one over one over the other, it'd be hard, yeah. it'd be hard, so, really? just, so don't ask me that. I find it very interesting because um, I wouldn't ask you that, but I think that's one of the things I really admire about you, is just you know how you love these two countries in such a proportion that you couldn't fairly say which one you like better because if that question were to be posed to some other nigerians i want to say maybe me i I would just you know i can tell you specifically which one i like better and even defend my answers with um about five talking points but you know so (laughs) i really really you know admire that about you so i know one of the things that i i know about you is you you are a nigerian citizen you're also a u.s citizen and you, you have that opportunity to shuttle between both worlds and um if people were given that opportunity that I know currently now, especially given the state of Nigeria, they wouldn't even bat an eyelid to, you know, stay in Nigeria. What what would you say was a deciding factor for you? Not just, you know, shuttling to and fro when you did, but having that permanence, like, I want to stay in Nigeria. What would you say was a deciding factor for you? Well, the deciding factor is... The deciding factor really was more... was about my, my father's life. I am motivated... By the way, by the way, my father, when my father came from nothing, let me just, okay, let me just very, give a very brief interview of my father. My father was the son of a farmer. His father was a farmer in Jebu, in Jebubo, and he was one of at least 20, at least 24 children. So it wasn't a case where he was like the first son, it wasn't the first son of his father, but he was able to actually pull himself up from, 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 you know, from, from working in a farm in Jebel to being a very rich and wealthy man. He was, he was in the forefront of a lot of things. And it was from him that I also got an entrepreneurial spirit. But more importantly, it was the legacy that he's left behind that actually inspired me to make sure that no matter what did I do, but I should leave a legacy. And that's part of the reason why I look at Nigeria. I look at the people that are there. I look at the, the state the country is in. And it's very important that 
in everything that's done, I want us to look back when I'm a lot older, 50, maybe 50, 60 years from now, if I'm, if I'm still capable of remembering at that point. But being able to look back and say, well, I contributed to this. Regardless of the state of, go of the state of what Nigeria is like at that point, I'd like to look at it and say that, you know what, I left my mark. That's actually what, you know, inspires me to actually continue to make sure that, you know, I continue to work in Nigeria because to do things in Nigeria. There is a great amount of experience and a great amount of, there's, there's a great amount of opportunity in Nigeria that is actually there. And if I choose to run away from it, yeah. I wouldn't really use the word run, but that basically is how I'd see it as being done. If I chose to actually run away from the problems that are there because I had someone else's problem, let them handle that. The point is that I just, I, I essentially tell my children and those that come after them that there's no point coming to Nigeria. But I can't say that. I can't say, I'll tell my children, oh, you should guys go back to Nigeria. I said, but dad, you left. Why should I go back? I'm like, uh, I can't, uh, I can't defend that. I'd rather it be that even if later on my children decide that, you know what, Nigeria isn't for me. I can tell them that, you know what, no. The fact that you were able to stand here and tell me that, you know, Nigeria isn't for you. You were able to do that because I stayed in Nigeria, because I worked in Nigeria, you see it. Yeah. But if they, make the, if they make that choice, it's best they make that choice from an informed standpoint. And that's kind of what does it, kind of what does it for me. Oh, thanks for that. So for you, it's safe to say that you saw how your dad was like and that inspired you to stay back. Now, um, yes. for the skeptics like me and especially for the young ones who just now think, I mean, it's such a hopeless place in Nigeria, you know, given the hardships and all that. What would you say made you stay in addition to, apart from the intrinsic factors you talked about, like, mm-hmm. like what can other people, you know, glean from you as a way of hope to hold on to that place called Nigeria? Like, what, what are some of the things you say, you say, you know, really, really worked for you compared to if you had stayed back in the U.S.? Nigeria offers a greater foundation for transformation and creation than the United States. And in fact, most of the West, as it is, because most of the people, most, most of the people right now, everyone's going to the West. Everyone's going to, by the West, I mean, you know, the UK, the US, okay, yeah. mm-hmm. the Western civilization. Everyone's going towards the West because everything seems to be more stable. Everything seems to be nicer there. Everything seems to, everything seems to work. Infrastructure and, that's, and everything, yeah. And that's, and, you know, and it's hard to, it's hard to actually argue against that because, well, yeah, I mean, we have lights. You have lights 24 hours a day. You have running water pumped directly to your house. You don't have to have a, have a backup generator. You don't have to have like a tank. You have to draw water from the, from the landline. If there's an issue with the hospital, you can go to and go and get treatment or whatnot. And it, yeah. it tell, I mean, it sells, it sells a very attractive and very engaging picture. Yeah. However, Nigeria in and of itself gives great opportunities for growth in the West. If you get to the West, the vast majority of people that I know in the West and who actually live in the US and the UK, they actually live, and I, and I, and I hesitate to say this because it's, 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 it's going to sound, it's going to sound kind of wrong, but they live mediocre lives. Mm. They live mediocre. They have a, they have a decent job. They have a decent house. If they're fortunate enough, they have a decent house. Maybe one, maybe two cars, depending on where they are. In an environment that requires them to drive up and down. They live in New York, probably not. They live in New York, they probably you know, take transition everywhere. But they live, they live a fairly mediocre life. It's a nice life, a comfortable life. They have a car, they have a house. You know, the kids go to school. 
maybe once uh maybe once a year or so they might actually you know drive down somewhere else or go see some people for a trip or whatnot but it's not really a life that challenges them or inspires them to do anything mm-hmm. they work at they work at a job if they're fortunate they work at the same job 10 15 years maybe they get a chance to go up to middle management so the truth is if, uh, if it's, if it's uh, an american looking at two people side by side one is a one is a dyed in the wool american and the person has a name that they have to hesitate before they pronounce for fear of offending the person. It's kind of an it's kind of an unspoken thing, but more than likely one person ends up getting considered for advancement a little bit more than the other ones. Mm. And it's kind of becomes kind of hard to actually put it that way. I mean, yeah, you could you could you could the key difference the, the key differences that I've seen between the US and Nigeria, UK and Nigeria is if you, were to, if you were to talk about the success of a business from a, from a scale of one to 10, the steps you have to take to become a, a very successful business. Let's just say by successful, I mean successful enough that you never have to worry about working again for the rest of your life. I mean, do we give you enough money that you know you're good? Yeah. You could actually just coast to retirement in this type of business. And the steps are, you know, step one, you have to register a business. You have to register, you know, the taxes, the tax things. You have to get the forms to fill out everything. You have to start, you know, moving to the market, penetrating into a business and things like that. I'm sorry, kids, if this sounds a little boring, but these are them the breaks. But if um, the difference between Nigeria and the U.S. is that the U.S. makes it very easy to start up a business. Like the first, this is the first, the first four steps of it are very easy to do. In terms of registering a business, getting all the forms, everything new, renting a space, you know, getting the, getting the workers and everything. It allows you to actually move up to that stage four very quickly. But the problem is, they reach a point where it becomes almost impossible to advance beyond that particular point, unless you're able to draw and attract the attention of a larger company with the ultimate game either being bought out. Acquisition, yeah. Or maybe or being sponsored by that place to move up. Like if I want to start up a shop, a grocery store in the US, at this point I mean at this point it'd be very, very difficult for me to actually do that because you know, they have places like Walmart. If Walmart even just so much as even blinks about trying to move into a particular place, or Kroger's groceries or whatnot, I'm done. I'm done because unless I have like 50, you know, 50 years, like this is like a, like a mom and pop organization. I have no children and grandchildren who have been there type of thing. It becomes very difficult to actually open and maintain a business and compete with a global giant like Walmart. Same thing if I, if I want, if I want to do any type of, I mean, any type of electronic store or something else, how do you, how does one compete with Amazon? Very hard. A lot of business is actually closing down now. Yes, you know, you see, about business like Toys R Us. I mean, I I remember Toys R Us from my from my childhood, and it always makes me sad. Half the time I come in here, it's like a business that used to be here might not be here the next time, literally because of the aggressive march of technology. Yeah. Which is the down, which is what I'm saying. That so that first part, you reach that stage four, that first stage four, and you, to get to that stage five is very difficult. You have to hope for like a stroke of providence. Start to get into that place. So the advancement part of it is when Nigeria does a lot better than the U.S. Yes, Nigeria because Nigeria doesn't have Amazon has no real penetration in Africa just yet, and Jumia and Conga they're trying, but they don't. They still don't have it. Most people don't have the capacity, don't have the interest, don't have the dedication to be having some of these things. Some people, many people still don't trust, you know, um, technology. Mm-hmm. Most of the older generation who have the money to spend still don't trust 
you know, debit cards and some other things to work with. They're still used to having, you know, I go to a shop, I buy something, or I send someone to go and give me something, and they bring it back. Yeah. So, Nigeria, the startup is the hardest part. And that's actually the biggest challenge that any set of somebody tried to work in this week. It's the biggest part of starting it up, mainly because Nigeria, all countries are corrupt. I don't believe that the U.S. is not corrupt. I don't believe the U.K. All countries are corrupt. Yeah. Some people just hide it. Some people pretend that it doesn't exist. Nigeria is corrupt. Yeah. I love my country, but I have, but it has to be true. Nigeria is corrupt. And the problem is that to start up a business, there's so many people at every single stage that will meet you and insist. Some very, some very politely will ask, and some people are very straightforward. Give me a hundred thousand. Oh, this is not just a way through. Like just to meet, even look at the documents to process this thing. I collect a hundred thousand. I collect a hundred thousand. My secretary collects fifty thousand, and this guy collects twenty thousand. Credit this one in my account. Put this one. I don't care how you do it, Sam. I collect my own private look at anything. <laughs> Which can be very, very, very frustrating and very, very, very dissuading to people who come in and want to do things a legitimate way. Yeah. Because you have to, you have to sort so many people and settle so many things. However, once you so like those, like those first three steps are incredibly frustrating. But once you yeah. get over that hump, once you know that, you know, this is the person you need to talk to about this, this is how you sort this thing out, this is how you do this, this is how you do that, this is how you handle this, you then end up in a situation where you know how everything runs. And once you do, you actually have people who, since you sorted people out before, they're not your friends. So you need to actually lean on them to do something like that, to get something like that, you know how to get them to do it. But I want to imagine that most people just quit after that first step. First few. And, yeah, see, and, well, and that is true. Which actually, which actually means that for those people who are able to actually soldier through those, those initial steps and actually push through, you actually find that there, there aren't that many people who are at that stage, which increases the opportunity for advancement, the opportunity for penetration. So now, it's not just getting through. It's not being able to deliver something that, you know, that really can transform the market. I work in, I, like, I sell, I sell, um, I produce and I sell toilet paper and uh, paper serviettes, among some of the other things that I do. And I won't lie, actually, for 2000, between 2000, 2014 and 2017, were actually very, actually a very trying period for me, mainly because there were so many, there were so many different brands of toilet paper on the market. No matter how you bring it out, try to sell to someone, there's someone out there who just pops in. So pop in like, you know, this week, this time, this week, and they'll sell at a much lower price than you. So no matter how you're doing, no matter how you try to do it, there was someone out there who could meet your price, meet you on it, or do something else. There were literally, I mean, I had, I have a wall in my office of every single toilet paper that's on the market. I, I see, I see, I have them buy it, and I keep a sample of it. And I actually, over time, just kind of assembled itself into a massive assemblage, you know, and I actually end up framing. <laughs> just to show that these are all the people, these are all, these are my competition. These are the ones that are worth it. These are the ones that aren't worth it. These are the ones that we need to actually, you know, keep an eye out for. Mm. Over the course of, over the course of 2016, over the course of 2017, when we ran into issues with uh, increase in the conversion rate, with the currency rate, the devaluation of the Naira, when we finally released that devaluation, it caused the cost of everything to skyrocket. Things that used to cost a thousand Naira now cost four eight, four thousand eight hundred Naira. For example, it was incredible, and it still is actually still challenging. But what that did is that a lot of those, a lot of those, um, those competitors who were there, they actually stopped selling now. So now, like they used to have 120, I checked out of that one now, 92 of them are actually gone. Now it's down to 28. Wow. 
That's a huge yeah. addition rate. It is actually because of what you said. Like just that initial part. Once these things change, it becomes so expensive and so difficult that it's just they just can't hold or hold on to anything. What that means now is that there's actually a great opportunity for the main 28 to actually manage to stick it out to actually do something. That's really good. I mean, that's commendable. And that's the and that's the key and that's the that's the key difference between Nigerian economy and the U.S. economy. The Nigerian economy is still at a point where they haven't yet settled down to one or two mega hyper businesses because they're very large businesses in almost all fields are still very traditional. They're still struggling to try to penetrate Nigeria fully. They're trying to push technological advancement on Nigeria, but we don't have the, so the infrastructure is still kind of patchy in places. You know, we still don't have, we still don't have full lights. We still don't have full water and things like that. So it still, it still comes down to those businesses that can able to control certain area and able to hit a particular thing or deliver a, a target or a service that actually allows these things to come together. But in the U.S. and U.K., it's kind of hard to do that since it's already kind of, yeah, kind of sort it out. I mean, good luck trying to stop a, a, a TV station that can compete with a big three, ABC, CBS, what? Yeah. What, Fox? I mean, good luck trying to go up against any of them. <laughs> I, I guess we still kind of still have a long way to go, even though there's some things that are working well for us compared to, you know, big countries like the U.S. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the next question I wanted to ask you is, I know you used to work in the bank, but now you work on your own as an entrepreneur. And you've mentioned, you know, um, some of the hurdles you had, but comparing your experience working in the bank versus having your own business, would you say it was easier for you integrating into the work system while you worked in the bank versus now that you, you know, you're self-employed and you have your own business? I'm, I'm not going to trot out the old line of, well, it's great being your own boss, but, um, one of the key, one of the biggest changes between between running your own business and running someone else's business, which is what you do when you're working with someone else's, is basically just that the shifting of responsibility. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. There are, I mean, there there are a lot of there are a lot of benefits, there are a lot of benefits to being an entrepreneur, to being a to being a self-driven type of person. But what most people tend not to focus on is the incredible amount of responsibility. Which is actually what tends to, what tends to scare people out of being entrepreneurial. They realize that, you know, wow, everything really, really rests on me. If you go to a business, when I was working at the bank, I knew what it was I was supposed to do on a daily basis. I woke up, got ready, I got up, got in my car, drove down to the bank, set up for the day, did everything I was supposed to do over and over and over again. And when time was done, I, I punched out and came back home. It, did, it didn't matter to me what the bank was going through, if the bank wasn't making money, if customers weren't doing anything. The important thing is that I did this, you pay me, that's it, you pay me, and then I do it again. That's all. It, and there's, a certain, there's a certain degree of security that comes with that. Knowing that as long as I do this, I just get that, and I'm fine. Yeah. That, that sense of security now tends to vanish when you become an entrepreneur. And this is, mm-hmm. and I'm, it seems kind of scary, because at first, like, you know, every single decision comes in. If you don't come into work, if you don't go to work that day, there is no one else that will handle the business for you at the end of the month. Yeah. The responsibility lies upon you to make sure that everything is actually done well. So, you have to push yourself. You have to push others. If people are doing me, when you're working a business, you see someone doing something that isn't quite right. It's like, oh, man, why are you getting this? Cause, cause trouble. But like, you can always choose to keep your head down and just not look at it. But being a, being a, being when it's your business, when it's your work, you can't afford to see someone doing something that could actually, you know, mess the business. Someone taking poor employees or customers. Someone not, you know, fulfilling orders. Someone doing something that using substandard material because, well, it's just easier that way. Have an idiocy. It actually forces you to become a lot more, a lot more detailed on it. You get to see a lot more in terms of like what's going on here isn't right. 
which is probably one of the benefits I actually see to being an entrepreneur that you tend to become a lot more detail-oriented. You tend to be able to have to spot problems and flaws and issues, not just in your own business, but just generally around you. That actually makes you a lot more aware of like, okay, if you don't fix this thing, it's going to cause a problem. Now, people are like, ah, I have someone I can't fix it. Like, you can say that if you want, but, you know, I'm just saying, it's going to fall. You know, might just look at that beam. And that's, 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 that's not good. But um, I think that's one of the things that people tend to be afraid of. And one thing people have to be prepared for is like, look, it's a, thank, it's a relatively thankless job being an entrepreneur. I mean, yeah, you can get award ceremonies and things and other businesses and whatnot. But the truth is, they, they, all those things really don't matter to the people that are doing them. They do, do, they do it just to check off on their resume that, oh, they have, that they, they keep their staff in and they keep them happy. But most people really don't care. Because hmm. I always say it. Because I, 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 always, I, I always say this thing. I, I tell my staff this, and this is sound, this may sound terrible because I tell my staff that, look, I'm, I may like you, I may think you're a friend, but ultimately when it comes to, when it comes right down to it, you're paid to be here. Right. As much as I may like you, because I will ask, I will ask the question, like, if I told you that I won't pay you for the next, for the next three months, not that I can't, I will not pay you, but I expect you, I expect you to come in and to work as, as normal. Would you? Yeah. Now there's always a very silent, there's all that silence, look down, look away. They, um, uh, um, I said, no, so be honest. Would you continue to come in? Not, not that I will pay you at the end of three months. I'm just not going to pay you, period. There's just no money. You come in and continue to work. They will say no. So that right there says that no matter what you think, no matter how you think about me or how I think about this business, at the core of it, yeah. at the very core, it's a, it's a business interest, transaction. I pay you to be here and I pay you to do your work. So I can't be friends with, I mean, I may like you, but I can't, I can't turn a blind eye to what you're doing. You have to deliver what you're seeing there. Which is actually, I mean, exactly, I guess that's something I just want to tell a lot of people that they don't quite understand. And that's one thing that's a little frustration. And maybe it's something that I don't know, maybe something that they pick up from the West, maybe see it on TV or whatnot. Nigerians don't operate very well when you're friends with them. It's confusing. It's confusing to them. Unfortunately, I don't, on a culture, on a cultural level, on a cultural level, Nigerians are used. And my, I say Nigerians. I think about a certain, a certain class. But you will find almost almost all levels. Nigerians are used to being treated harshly, not in terms of physical abuse. You know, throwing things at them. You know, they being punching them, hitting them. No, no one goes for that. But generally, if they, if they're used to being treated harshly, if you try to treat them as though that, oh, we're friends, we're equals, we're this or that, but let's, let's see weakness. They'll see weakness in you. And what, what is the point we see it and they're just going to run all over you doing whatever they want to do. You have to be friendly, but you have, you can be friendly if you choose to be, but it doesn't be matter one way or the other. If they know that, look, ultimately, you, this person is very harsh, but he will pay me and he will do this thing at his death. If I understand that, I, I, if I follow the rules, no problem. It doesn't matter whether the guy is friends with you or not. But if I'm doing, doing party party with them, you know, you're friendly, you this and that, but they can sense that. I could also explain, oh, I'm not feeling well. And they, will, they, will take, they will think of everything at work. They will. It's one of the hardest, one of the harshest lessons people don't, they don't understand. They treat us though, <clears throat> we're in, I don't know, like, like a sitcom in the U.S. where everyone is friends, everyone's buddies with each other, everyone does what they're supposed to be. It's not like it's not like the office. It's not like NBC is the office. That's not how people are in Nigeria. Far, 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 far worse than that. I think another reason for that could be the um, also the cultural aspect of our lives because that that's that infiltrates everything. You know, the way we worship, the way we work, 
that we can't just, you know, it's not comparable to what you have in the Western world. It isn't. But the subconscious thing is that people who have spent a lot of time in the West tend to view that because that's the experience that they know. And then they come back. Because what happens is when you treat people, when you treat some people too friendly, they operate, they become... They develop the mindset that they're indispensable. That's also about being weak and about, about sensing weakness. You don't want your staff, no entrepreneur truly wants their staff to become indispensable. Yeah. This isn't to say that this isn't to say that, you know, um like your staff shouldn't be useful, they shouldn't be valuable or invaluable to a business. But there's a difference between someone being invaluable and not knowing it versus being invaluable and they know it. When they know that they're invaluable, they become indispensable. And that allows them to start, they start dragging their feet. They can't act with a certain amount of superiority. They'll fail, they'll do what they want to do because at the back of their mind, it's like, if I leave this place today, this business will fall apart. Mm. And that's very, and that's very dangerous. It's, that's, why, that's, why I, that's why I tell people that, you know what, as you're here, you're not in this, I have to remind myself, I remind that, look, as you're doing this work, I appreciate what you're doing. But I have to know that as things are going on, if you were not to come to work tomorrow, you just decide that you're not going to come to work tomorrow. What do I do? The big thing that happens a lot, happens a lot in Nigeria, but not so much in the, in the U.S. because of, you know, job history, things like that. Yeah. Many businesses, I mean, many staff, especially at lower levels, like at lower to even medium levels, they'll just decide one day they won't come to work. When they want to leave, they won't say they're going to leave, they'll give a three weeks notice or whatnot. They'll just not come into work. And it's like, well, thank you for, they'll send you an SMS or something, if they're feeling kind, saying, oh, yeah, I decided to come in again. I'm working somewhere else. Or, or the, the classic example, I've gone back to school. That dude, you're 45, you have, and you have a master's. And I think I have a master's. What are you going back to school to do? Well, I said, well, I still have to school. Thanks for the opportunity to, the opportunity to serve. So you always have to pray yourself that at any given point in time, that a key staff, yeah. a key member of something, it might decide that, oh, we're done here. We're just going to go. How do you, how do you pick up from that? It's really the kind of thing that comes in when you treat them as though they're indispensable. When, you, when, when they're indispensable, you tend to, you know, to ease back a little bit in terms of how, thing, of how, that, how that area runs. I'm not saying you need to know how every single thing goes, but you don't have a plan B, a contingency plan. Many businesses don't have contingency plans. So as soon as one key, one or two key people leave, which happens if one person leaves, the second person doesn't like the stress, maybe figure that something's going on, and then they leave, they leave us all very quickly, the business plan. I think it kind of ties down to your previous point about, you know, the questions you ask your employees. At the end of the day, it's still a business transaction. And I think um, yeah. another thing would be creating a balance between letting your workers know that they're valuable, and their input matters, but not making them feel like, oh, you're like the end will be all. If you leave now, my company is going to collapse. Yes, yeah, because at the end of it, it is your it is your business. It's your idea. It's your goal. Yeah. Stagnant, becoming stagnant in the running of a, in the running of a business, or even pursuing an idea, is actually it's actually it's actually one of the biggest mistakes. Which having workers who are in the, who are indispensable, after my work, actually affects that. When you have when you feel okay, everything's working just fine. This guy handles the thing. I can trust him. Like you become some people tend to be tend to ease back a little bit. Everything is going okay. That's a big mistake. That's a big that's a big mistake. Because in Nigeria, like you said, I mean, like I said before, with the with the currency issue, things are very volatile. It's not like in the, in the U.S. Well, we're not going to see a massive currency downturn anytime soon. But despite that, when the when the when the recession hit, when the recession hit, it affected a lot of things. Even even the West, 
they aren't safe from things suddenly being showed, being shaken up. But because people feel like, okay, I've hit this business, I know it's a pretty quite well, let's continue to expand, continue to expand. But okay, nothing to do what's going on. Something happens and then wipes out that particular thing. Or one day Amazon or Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Hello, wait, you're in Nigeria now. Hey, what's up? <laughs> so it helps to, it helps to constantly be, be constantly moving, be fluid in how things are. Somebody that's going, someone that's coming to work as a to, to start a business or just work on themselves in Nigeria. One of the best things that they can do is to whatever idea they have, to actually figure out to tie that idea with something from the West and bring it to Nigeria. Because, you know, countries, the companies like, companies like Walmart, companies like, I would, I would have this thing for years, for years ago and actually put me on that idea as well. I just think about, you know, Blue Bunny Ice Cream, man. Blue Bunny Ice Cream, yeah. Yes, Blue Bunny Ice Cream. Uh, years, of, yeah, years ago, years ago, when I was working, I think, was working in the bank around 2007, man, 11 years. When I was working, working in the bank, Blue Bunny used to be everywhere. They had all kinds, all kinds of flavors, all kinds of combinations, all kinds. Of, they had the what the low, they had the low sugar one. They had the, they had the, they had the yogurt, the sorbet, all kinds of random stuff that was there. But I always wondered, as I should buy this, it's like, where are they getting this from? Like, is that is that like a like a like a supplier for Blue Bunny Nigeria? And someone said, no, said no, they imported frozen all the way from wow. I'm guessing the US at this point. Really? They ship it frozen back. And I'm like, I'm like but how I said, how much could it possibly cost given the amount, given the volume of this stuff I'm saying? How much could it possibly cost somebody to establish a facility in Nigeria and if you become like a, a distributor for this product? And keep even it if they sold this yes, even if they sold at the same price as they sold it here. Yeah. It would just, just be easy overall just go and get it from there and just market it around. Why can't someone just bring that franchise, bring that thing back from the U, from the US or whatnot to this place here and then just do it? They don't have, they don't have to even produce it here. It's not transport it here and from here just dispense it to wherever it needs to go. It would look nicer. It would look cleaner. It'd be, you know, because some of the boxes were in horrible shape. They're all dented. Some had funny tastes and smells because of where they were stored. But at that point, okay. It's blue bunny ice cream. I recognize it. it's not fine. It's not fine ice cream. So it's like, okay, let's see what you get. Why can't we bring that in? Why can't why, why can't this someone like actually bring this? We have this product. We have this market. Why can't it be a middleman that can bring this in and distribute it among that particular market? Because there's a market for it already. There is. Because we really see in Google content that the market actually exists. But even moving apart from that, from blue bunny itself. If there was a facility or company that specialized specifically in bringing frozen products, all they do is bring frozen products from the U.S. or from the U.K. and distribute them on certain channels based on orders and requests from certain key businesses, they would stand to make a lot of money. Okay. Now, somebody who's actually, someone who's actually spent a lot of time in the U.S. in certain fields and areas that would know how to actually arrange things on one side and then come to Nigeria and make sure they actually can be distributed on the other side where actually stand to make a lot of money. Even if there were two or three people doing it, they would stand to make a lot of money. However, most people in Nigeria don't understand how to do it. Most people in America don't realize that kind of a demand for it. Something else that would actually make stupid amounts of money is fresh milk. Fresh milk? Oh, yeah. Well, containing it, though, we don't really have... Like, power supply is so, is so epileptic back home. Like, how no, but, that's, that's a, but, see, but, na- but nowadays, but nowadays, technology has changed. Ten years ago, ten years ago, internet was a very difficult thing to find in Nigeria. You spent like twenty five thousand, thirty thousand a month for like three gigs. 
of data. Now you can spend 19,000 and get like 128 gigs or 200 gigs, or even unlimited, I believe. So I said, so I have to, I got unlimited plans, unlimited data plans now in Nigeria for less than a cost then. In terms of technology, there are many businesses that use alternate fuels, like solar, like, like, like solar energy and um, inverters, UPS inverters, battery backup supply systems are now actually very much, very much the rage. Technology has changed. Solar, I mean, solar technology is, is actually, actually seeing great, great, great penetration in, 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 in business. I see lots of businesses that actually use, that have solar panels on the top of their roofs that can actually power and maintain. They have, um, their, their paper mill that actually use solar energy rather than using, right? I mean, they're actually, they're actually located, you know, off the grid, like in the, like in the, in forested rural areas. That's an entire facility that don't use, that don't connect it to the, to, to the grid. They use a combination of generators and a combination of solar energy to actually power their facilities to go in there. How much more so if you have a proper, to have a proper, a, a, a proper, a proper refrigeration facility would actually mean a lot. But actually allow us that they actually have a, a higher, a higher standard of food, a higher standard of, of general living. The technology, the technology is actually there. People are bringing it in. Even, even to a better point, people that can bring in alternate, alternate power sources to Nigeria, entrepreneurs who can actually bring those things in will make mad, mad money. Someone can bring them in, refine them in a way that fits the market better so it can actually be sold, yeah. actually stand to make a lot of money while at the same time improving the baseline lifestyle of everyone in Nigeria. That's the market thing. Ready for it. There's a market for it. There is a there is a market. There is a market for it. I mean, it, it be hard, it, it's hard. It's hard to sell solar power to the average the average American because most parts of America, most not all, there are places in the U.S. that don't actually have consistent power supply and actually do actually have generators. So, but the average American wouldn't see that much of a use in it since well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I get what I need right here. I mean, like, yeah, it's not to save the environment and all that, but um. They won't really need it in terms of, okay, well, let's use this thing because there's no other alternative. Okay. Thank you for that. That's, those are very two key business ideas. So anyone listening to this, get on that wagon and, you know, start making some money. I do have another yes. question for you, though. Yes, get on that wagon. <laughs> and don't forget to send your check to him. Being hey, man, look, I'll, I'll, I'll take 1%. I'll take 1%. Just 1%. <laughs> nice. Is it fee or a recurring fee? <laughs> So, what the one percent? Well, most of the growth recurring, of course. <laughs> Anyways, um, the next question I had for you was, um, so if you could do it all again, you know, moving back and staying back, what would you do differently? Differently, I would probably, I probably take more. I would take make make more of an effort to actually, to actually network each other, bringing stuff back. Like some of the ideas I had in the past, I definitely would actually just made sure to actually be on top of these things that are actually there. And this one, okay, so making sure that while I was in, while I was in the U.S., I talked to everyone. Even people, I, even people I don't know, I don't particularly care to, because one of the biggest things that actually helps an entrepreneur survive, especially in a country like Nigeria, is just knowing someone to talk to. And it's harder to do it when you're in Nigeria as opposed to when you're in the U.S. So really, after there, it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of general advice that really has benefits no matter what you do. Wherever you go, if you're if you guys are fortunate enough to actually travel anywhere, even if you say you're going to Delaware to do something, nothing against Delaware, a lovely place, like you've been there. People are always like, oh, this has no this has no value. It never hurts to actually establish a network with someone because you'll never know 
when that network actually proved valuable as an idea to actually help you actually penetrate or create a new product. Mm. It's something. It's something that. It's something that I do now. But even, even as I do it, I know that I've I've lost like you know many 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 years worth of networks and things. I have to, to go back to look at some people that I haven't spoken to in fifteen years. Fortunately, most of us are alive. But it's been a case where it's like, wow, if I actually had this had this idea a long time ago, I actually could have used the network that they gave to do this thing, which was the biggest thing that would change differently. Out of definitely because by nature. I'm actually kind of an introvert. I don't like talking to people if I don't have to. Yeah. I tend to just focus on I let my actions speak for itself rather than words. But it's something that I know that if I could have changed, I would have made more of an effort to ensure that I actually, you know, took the time to talk to people. So you love leverage your network better. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. And I see the first thing about about leveraging is that unlike what many people will tell you, I don't believe that you need to leverage the network solely with a gain. So they were the envy towards the towards gaining money. Yeah. It's just more about gaining that connection. Because you can't measure you can't measure you can't measure the worth of a network. Even if that network never directly gives you something, maybe talking to people and maintaining a network allows you to have the experience that's necessary to continue to maintain and establish new networks, which will put you where you need to be. Mm. Thank you for that. Now the other question I had for you was um for those that might be considering moving back home to Nigeria voluntarily or otherwise and maybe just starting again or starting from where they started many years ago what's one survival tip you would give them well first off if you're involuntarily moving back to nigeria i would say that whatever it is that got you in the situation you have to do that involuntarily stop it because if that that didn't fly in the u.s it won't fly in nigeria just please be voluntary you're moving back but in terms of survival tips, what I would just say is um, be flexible. That's the biggest. That's that's the, that's the biggest thing. Be flexible because there will be a lot of. I mean, it's a different culture. Even if you've lived in Nigeria before, you traveled to the U.S. to do some work a little bit, and you came back to work there. It's a different culture. Technology, the advent of technology and social media and a lot of other things. That actually happened means that people now change have access to so much information. They change so quickly. Just because you had an idea that worked in 2002, in 2012, doesn't mean that idea worked in 2017. Again, an idea that worked in 2017 doesn't mean it worked in 2018. You have to have an idea, know what you want, know what you're trying to get, and then focus on doing that and be able to adapt to it. If you know that you're working to make money, then you need to know that you know, what. Whatever, whatever idea, whatever goal, whatever thing you're trying to do is, is towards the goal of getting money. I mean, you're doing this thing because you want to, you want to have a hundred million followers mm-hmm. on Instagram or something like that. Then let that direct it. But don't assume that because what you did was popular in the U.S., that because you have that cachet in the U.S., that immediately trans- translates to cachet in Nigeria. Mm. Anyone who has lived in Nigeria knows this, but those of you who are in America the whole time, I haven't come back for a long time. Nigerians tend to venerate white people, but not so much for actual, 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 actual black people. Mm. They don't actually venerate, they actually don't actually venerate black people like that. Especially black people abroad, they feel that if you were abroad and you came back to Nigeria, you must have, you must have messed up to have come back. What did you do that you were there? But if you were really enjoying it too, like you would have been in America. Yeah, so why would you, why would you come back? Why would you leave the promised land? 
being flexible means that you need to be able to adjust to how things are. You have to be prepared to, like, it's like if there's no power, there's no water, how are you to achieve the things that you want to do? But really, the light, I mean, the, the power thing, I know we've been talking about it quite a bit over this, over this thing, but really it's not as bad as you make it seem, mainly because, well, society and culture has generally adapted to it. So generally, you'll find that there always there are always alternatives in a lot of places. If you're if you're not able to own a house, you want to rent. The vast majority of places have service flats, which means that they have generators that actually supply power that are putting as part of the rental fees and whatnot. So they tend to be they tend to do what they can to kind of kind of cover for it. But yeah, be flexible. That's the biggest thing. The biggest thing is actually being flexible. You don't want to you don't want to fall into a rut. No matter what it is you're doing, you're actually able to know that this idea that you're working there, a month, two months down the line, you need to actually move on from that, but to move, to move up from it, not on, move up from it. This was working for a while, but that's not where you need to be. You need to be higher. You need to move up. Thanks for answering the question. Any final words before we end the podcast? Um, all I would say, all, the, all I would just say is Nigeria needs your help, ladies. And gentlemen, the more people, the more people that actually go back and actually go back to Nigeria, impart ideas, technology, but actually just work to raise the general standard of things, the better our country will be. Not just for ourselves, but those that come after us. And I know this is, I know this is actually going to be an unpopular thing, and I want to be careful about this because I don't, want to, I don't start, you know, start some, some, some kind of a thing. But America doesn't want you to succeed. The West generally doesn't want people to succeed. It's not a, it's not a race thing, but generally. The, the way America, the way Western society is built, is built on a, a, very, a very small group of people at the top with a lot of money and a lot of people at the bottom. Yeah, it's the next to nothing. And the only way that pyramid continues to work is a lot of people, a lot of smart people, intelligent people, waste their lives toiling away in mediocrity. They take the, they take the brain power and the, the, the brain power, the intelligence, the mental wealth of these people and use it to keep themselves up. There isn't too much you can do about it. You can do about America at this particular point in time because, well, it's been set up that there's just too many, you know, global juggernauts. I mean, good luck trying to go, go up against the Alpha company or Facebook or something else like that. But Nigeria isn't quite there yet. Yes, there is still the pyramid, the corrupted, the, the corrupt people at the top who are taking all kinds of money and doing all types of things that are there. But that's only because the people that are left behind don't really know much better than that. Those who are smart, those who are capable, those who, who can actually change things are being lured away to toil away in mediocrity in other countries. While the country where they are, so the people that are left behind, those who can't, who can't leave. So the few small people that are there are capable of actually, you know, achieving great things in that country because you're going to take an idea. But well, we can be, we can be better. Nigeria gives you opportunity to be better and to do better, to achieve more and to see greater returns for your own effort. And what the West has to offer. And the West just gives you it gives you a, it gives you a picket fence. That's nice and all, but it doesn't really give you something really tangible. That was a very um, good summary point. I mean, from hearing you talk about just your story, con- contrasting the experience in the West and in Nigeria, there's so much to look forward to as a Nigerian. And thanks for being that little flick of hope, even though it's, it might seem little now, but we never know how far it's going to take us. Thanks for that, and um, I really, really enjoyed our conversation today. But thank you so much, really, for Abby, for um, coming on today and for all the wealth of experience we shared. Thank you for having me on the podcast, Mo. Really appreciate it. I do hope, like you said, that 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 someone that that someone out there takes this 
And well, it was a situation where they didn't have an idea before and they get an idea. Or they were high, they have an idea and they're just wondering whether it's still, it's still worth it or not. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be, I mean, there's going to be stress in those things. I won't, I won't, I won't lie. It's, it, can, it, it can be stressful and it will be stressful. But that's part of the journey. If it, if it was easy, everyone could do it. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's important that you do it. Because when you do it, when you actually make it, you achieve. You, you, you'll, you'll discover things about yourself. You can't, you simply can't discover working for other people. You can't. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Marshall Podcast. Remember to stay up to date with all the podcasts have to offer by subscribing. Don't forget to review us on iTunes and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And I look forward to connecting with as many of you as possible. Talk to you all soon. You know what I mean? So, Baba, tell me, see, I judge a delay and a true man. Check this out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No matter where you go, make you not forget area, oh, area, oh, Nana in Tio de Batile, Bada Wale, oh, Wale, oh, how I wish, say, I to reach you anywhere you day. Make you the Bonaria, motherland, yo. Chine do somebody borrow you will go. Make you to travel go Chicago. Remember, I'm the selling car, so you go go America. All these people waving they raise you, still they stay for face me I face you. Promise say you no go fashy them. Every other month you go they touch them. You been saying now one year. You can't turn to two years You don't go for seven years But you deserve eleven years Even when your papa buy Plus the tears your mama cry Buy your for Chicago Then they miss you for Coco Beyond you for Canada Your mama still they wonder If I will not to my father oh, Remember for Niger you get Yahoo Could I be late? 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 A long, long way from home. A long, long way from your papa land. Brothers in the west, all my brothers in the east, north, south. You know, we're doing it, and all these people with the rule of me that try to make Nigeria so that people go on the come back home.